Welcome to Conversations in Equine Science. My name is Kate Acton and I'm joined by Nancy McLean and this is the podcast where we take equine research and try and make it accessible to horse owners and enthusiasts alike. Remember that with each topic we discuss it's important to get professional advice before implementing any of the strategies. This week Kate and I are discussing a paper called The Effect of Stress and Exercise on the Learning Performance of Horses. Now, this paper is by Katherine Henshaw, Haley Randall, Nidish Francis, and Raphael Frerer. Um, it's a 2022 paper. And basically, this research asked the question of, under what conditions do horses learn best? And uh, they had inactive horses that were uh, tied up with a buddy, not doing anything except hanging around. And then they had um, exercise of moderate intensity, yet relaxed. And those horses um, were given 22 minutes of exercise. And then they had um, a learning the learning procedure done following stress, and it was uncontrollable stress. So the horses didn't quite understand what was going to be happening or what um, novel object was going to be used. So while there may be individual attributes at play here, I think overall, this research sums up what um, Dr. Kate Fenner always says, and she calls it emotional levels. So a horse can um, be too low in emotional level to learn. They can also be too high and just too much in flight or uh, fright mode to even learn. And they could be just right. So it kind of sounds like the three bears or the three horses. <laughs> you know. So um, as in humans, this study aimed to look at peripheral concentrations of cortisol and heart rate. And the heart rate was a proxy for noradrenaline. And it infers... Um, the neurological process or the response the horses are having to these three types of scenarios. Kate, uh, you recommended this paper and I'm glad you did. It was very technical, but it's also a very good example of learning about the cognition of horses and putting them in the best possible environment for learning. And I will add, this is also open access. So all the listeners will be able to um, read this paper and, um, you know, just see what the results were. Yeah, I think it, I mean, learning is something that I'm passionate about in people because of the <laughs> job I'm in, in lecturing, but I'm, I'm kind of always it catches my eye if there's something to do with learning performance and what affects it. And even for myself, because I like to try and compare, and I know we can't, you know, anthropomorphize where we put human characteristics onto horses, but there are lots of ways where this paper actually pointed out were similar. 
and across species will have similarities too in our ability to learn. Um, I think it was also nice that this paper underpins that exercise, which will initially increase cortisol because exercise is a stressor on our body. But if the horse is exercised, their cortisol would increase in their saliva. And then when they were doing the learning, they would have a low level of cortisol. So it would peak while they're working out. And then afterwards, they were able to concentrate. And I just thought that was really fascinating. So the horses who did the exercise needed less repetitions um, to understand the learning objective, whereas the inactive horses and the um, horses that were stressed with an uncontrollable stressor, they remained stressed throughout the learning um, objective, which to me was just really fascinating because I think we all learn in different ways, but this is a nice kind of cumulative piece because it looked at so many different aspects of research and it did like a thorough literature review of um, learning performance in horses and it's pulled together nicely, like how exercise can really benefit them. And we've, for years, we've warmed horses up before doing, you know, like show jumping or dressage. Like you always do a warm up, even when you're doing lessons or you're doing groundwork or you always warm your horse up with the thoughts that the exercise is going to be maybe strenuous. So we want to get those muscles warm. We want to get the heart rate pumping, but we don't actually even, I think, cognitively think about the fact that when we're doing that, we're improving the horse's ability to listen to us. So I just, I was really really inspired when I read this paper but as Nancy said it is very technical if you're not used to reading scientific papers then give it a go it's I mean it's a learning performance for yourself if you want to it might put some of you under stress but have a notepad jot it down as you go if you want to give yourself a challenge because Nancy and I read a lot of research papers for this podcast and just for our own um, consumption of research and our passion for it. And we both agreed that this one was tricky um, on the technical side. So it will, if you decide to dive into this one, it will take a little bit of um, researching around some of the terms that are used. Yeah, and they did use 41 horses. Out of those horses, uh, 17 mares, one stallion, and 23 geldings. And they were in, in an age group of three years all the way up to 20 years, with the average age being eight and a half years, uh, plus or minus 5.1 years. So um, it was a good broad spectrum of horses. And then also the supplementary um what would you call it, I guess, table, showed the different breeds. And I thought it was interesting that the ACTH level in the warm bloods and thoroughbreds ran higher than in the other breeds. And there's a whole other research paper here, because what happens if we're measuring for like a Cushing-type disease in a thoroughbred and they're just slightly elevated. Is that breed specific or is it they 
they're starting to get Cushing. So I had never read that before. So that's got me thinking now. Um, and that was included in this paper because they were measuring cortisol and, and they did notice that slight elevation in the warm blood slash thoroughbred um, breed group. So have a look at that supplementary table as well. And then That's really interesting, Nancy, actually, just that point you made, because I believe, and I'll confirm it next week <laughs> on the <laughs> podcast, but I believe veterinary blood analyzers, certainly for dogs, I don't want to say I'm 100% sure, because I feel like this is a dream. But I, I'm nearly sure towards the end of my time in practice, you could put the breed in because there are variations in normal parameters for certain breeds. But I wonder if they've got that for horses yet or if that was just small animal developed. But I'll check that with one of the analyzers that I'm nearly certain does it. And I, um, I'll update I, you next week. I just had my thoroughbreds um, ACTH analyzed last week. And when I looked at the test results, uh, once I had read this in this paper, I went and pulled that uh, paperwork and it just said um, species horse. It didn't ever, it didn't really mention a thoroughbred anywhere, but maybe when they actually do it at the lab, they put in what yeah it may not be developed yet though so it's a great it's just a super interesting point you made because um that could be a whole area that can be looked into further it probably just because i just had it done and i have a ppid you know senior horse so but anyway um i wanted to um say that that the exercise so they divided these up into different groups. So they had the inactive ones, there were 14 in there. They had the exercise group, there were 13 horses in. And then they had the stressed group or the ones that were presented an uncontrollable stressor. There were only 14 in that group. So um, there's your divisions on these 41 horses. And then there were three phases in this project. And one was pre-treatment. This is where all 41 horses were tied to um, a paddock with a buddy, and they've just stood there. Nothing asked of them. Um, However, for some horses, I felt like the act of just being restrained and not able to move around can sometimes present a stress. So probably to do this over again, I wonder why they couldn't put a horse in a paddock untied. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just, you, yeah, just a little bit of a, a round pin, just let with a buddy, you know, or whatever, because they said these horses never really left the proximity of the herd or their turnout group, they could always see them. And I believe it was 50 to 100 meters away. So it's yeah. not they were taking them away from the group. So, but that stuck in my mind. And then, yeah. and uh, it could be that they were habituated to being tied to the post, but yeah, the paper didn't actually mention whether they yeah. were. I did not see that. And I looked for that because I thought, oh, I've got a few thoroughbreds that just don't like to be tied up 
and then walk and then left, you know. And so then there was the treatment, which was the actual um, whether they were exercised, um, if they were the inactive, that state they were tied with their buddy again, and then the um stress ones they were put in a round pen and they were exposed to a large ball a smaller ball or a tarp and there was no rhyme or reason or pattern to it so that was the stressor right there so anyway I thought it was pretty well thought out as far as trying to see okay what is going to enhance the learning the best And sometimes you think a little stress isn't bad to get you going. But this kind of reminded me when I was um, in school and we would have an exam and I would cram the night before, or maybe just read the chapter the night before. Now, my behavior changed as I got older, but I would cram all that information (laughs) into my brain and then go take the exam the next day. And then completely not retain anything, you know, not really learn. And, you know, as I got older, I realized if I would learn, really sit down and read and make notes all along the semester, I didn't have to do those all night cramming sessions. But anyway, um, the interesting thing with that, though, when you like start to delve deeper into learning is that you reinforced your learning because it worked for the exam. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem that I have because I I love a deadline. Like I love being under pressure to get work done. <laughs> yeah. If there's a deadline, like it's just not in my nature to miss it. So like I will do the most work coming up to a deadline. And <clears throat> typically when I do this cramming work, because I've done it for so many years, I've become successful in achieving the goal by doing it but as you said you can't retain a lot of it so you get reinforced by the fact you pass the exam so you do it again for the next exam and you do it again for the next one but lifelong you don't retain that information and I think it's interesting because you're still getting like an affirmation or um, a positive reward for that behavior so that's what kind of makes it harder to break the cycle of it yeah yeah and I I think too it has a lot to do with what you're studying I was that way more for general education courses and um, once you know I would study what I really wanted to learn I could adapt that a little bit to Mm -hmm. to better use my time but this kind of uh, reminded me of that and also it's like if you have a horse that doesn't load uh, very well and you put him through that stress of loading and then you go to a barn for a lesson you you might be you know, lessening the chance of the horse actually learning something. So, um, you know, there's... And a great example of that as well is if you are like a pony club rider and you go to competition a handful of times a year and your horse is only loaded to go to competition and then when you get to the competition, your high energy, there's a lot of high energy and nerves around the horse and 
you're basically bringing them from a stressful loading to a stressful situation. So they may not perform to the level that they did when you were training. And I think it is uncontrollable stress because not only is it the trailering, but then they get to a new location and they're away mm-hmm. from their herd. And so there's a lot of um, uncontrollable factors in that. And I thought this is great because we can all learn from this. We've all been there, done that with the horses. And now you kind of realize, okay, maybe get there early where you can do, you know, 20 minutes of a nice warm up. Um, the same warm up you do on the farm that is almost an ingrained pattern in that horse's mind. And because, you know, we know horses learn by patterns. So if you can introduce something familiar in a relaxing way, and this was walk, trot, canter on a loose rein without really taking up any contact unless you needed that to guide the horse. And if the horses uh, in the trial, when they were picking these 41 horses, if the horse could not do that, if they weren't at that minimum of training, they were excluded from the study. So um, that would be maybe a go-to because there was a research paper they talked about in this that dealt with humans and rodents. And if they were exposed to stress, um, it would limit the human and the rodents learning. But if they undertook exercise, and in this case, it was high intensity, um, it became a positive for learning. So the exercise seemed to take away the effects of the stress or that stress input. So I thought that was really interesting. And then the amount of exercise they did was not that much. It was seven minutes at the walk, 10 minutes at the trot, and then five minutes at the canter. Very relaxed. And Kate, I I think I told you before we began recording that on the racetrack, we always say we want the jockey that can relax our horse. Mm-hmm. So now that's at a higher rate of speed. But, you know, there's something to be said about not fighting them and not creating more stress. Um, Just let them roll right along and keep them relaxed. And usually you get a good outcome. They get something from that race. If they don't win it, they still get something from it. They learn. Yeah. yeah, And they improve on it. And I think that's where jockeys don't get enough recognition and in general I don't think people like unless you're in the racing industry I don't think people really realize what goes into having to do that and having to create that bond keep that horse calm and make them feel safe where they can potentially in their head be in an unsafe environment but you're able to bring them back and they they really trust them and I think that's it's just an area that we probably haven't acknowledged. I don't think we've chatted too much actually about jockeys necessarily in this sense um, on the podcast because we've touched on them a couple of times in different episodes, but that effect they have and the effect they have on learning is really fascinating. And for the learning task, what they actually wanted the horses to do was super simple. 
they wanted them to move away from a negative response. So they had a dressage whip, so one of those long um, riding crops, and they gently touched the horse, and it was literally just tapping a gentle, repetitive tap on the hindquarters. And when the horse moved away, that was the desired response. But the second the horse even lifted their leg to begin moving away, the tapping ceased. So it was teaching the horse that the negative um, annoyance, in, for a simple word, will cease when you move away. So what we're asking you to do is move away. So when they repeat it, the horse should pick it up quicker each time. Okay, they're asking me to move away from this. So negative reinforcement doesn't have to be overly adversive. You know, we do use it in our day-to-day -day riding, but I think we are becoming a lot more conscious in how subtle we can be with that in using it as a learning aid. Um, I would like to think gone are the days where anyone is kicking horses to get them to do things. I think we're definitely moving towards teaching and educating people who are coming into horse riding that we can use these subtle leg aids, we can use squeezing, we don't need to boot them in the ribs to get them to do something. Um, and even just the power of body movement, how that can be used as an aid. And I really recommend that to anyone who hasn't done just soul like body work when you're riding horses. So having a very long rein um, or a loose rein altogether, but I mean, there's safety caveats with this and I'll leave that to your discretion. But putting your arms out to either side and actually turning your body in the direction you want to go and you'll be surprised that the horse actually moves in that direction. They're so in tune. And we've touched on that in other episodes to the distribution of our weight and our movement and where we look is where they go. And we learn that in early horse riding. You know, when you're going over your jump, you're looking for your next one and that's what's guiding your horse. So I think it can be used really effectively as a training method without it being adversive, essentially. Yeah, that's a good point, Kate. And, you know, I think the main point of this paper is that exercise of moderate intensity, yet low cognitive load. So you're not really putting pressure on the horse to learn anything. I mean, a lot of the time, these this rider didn't even take contact into that horse's mouth, just what's just necessary for a connection. And that seemed to increase the horse's ability to um, learn uh, it, with negative reinforcement. So um, I can think of so many uses for this and not only a trailer loading, but mounting block uh, behavior and just putting them in the right frame of mind for learning it couldn't be so much faster to go ahead and teach them something other than always trying to to uh, teach them when actually the environment isn't conducive for that. So I, I thought it was a good paper, Kate, and thank you for recommending it. Oh, not at all. I think um, you've mentioned it before, Nancy, in the past, and just what you were saying there reminds me of it, how like our quote unquote old timers will have ways of doing things that research mightn't have caught 
up with, if that makes sense. So we'll always have certain ways of doing things and we do like to challenge that. But it's really nice when research backs it up. And I think one example is when you're training young horses and you'll lunge them beforehand. And we were always told, you know, if they're fresh, you want to get them in and lunge them to burn off a bit of energy before <laughs> you do the training session with them. But now from this research, we know that, yes, we can burn off a bit of that excess energy. But we also actually focus, get them to focus their mind on what we're asking them to do. So that's why it works so effectively. Yep, yep. And there's so, you know, this really makes it so concise and easy to see. And, you know, whether it's uh, Kate Fenner's research or the International Society for Equitation Science, they're always honing in on this learn you know, what your horse's style of learning is. I'm sure that it's individual in a way too, but overall, this is how that, this is how that species learns. This is what they need. And so often we were never providing that. And, um, you know, this is kind of uh, catching up. Yeah. I had an old timer that always said, don't grab that halter so tight, give the horse a chance you know, relax, let the, it'll drop its head. You don't need to be holding on so tight. You know, so, <laughs> um, you know, he was, he was right. He was spot on. The horse will come to you and, uh, you know, it's all how you ask. So um, anyway, a great uh, read, a little technical, but you know what? Everyone can work their way through it. I'll put the link on the homepage. And um, I'm looking through my notes, and I think that's pretty much everything, Kate. I had so much written down because this can be applied in so many different training situations. So uh, anyway, um, that's all I had for this week. Uh, did you have anything else, Kate? No, I think we've touched on all my points for this one. Um, but good food for thought from this yep. paper, definitely. Absolutely. And I hope it helps someone. Um, if you have any uh, thing where you read this and then you benefit from it, let us know that you you uh, changed uh, certain aspects of your training and let us know how uh, it's working out for you. Yeah, we're always eager to see how the research kind of affects you or whether, you know, and some listeners listen um just to hear the research and won't always implement it. And it's not always possible or safe to implement, but little things like this, like training changes you can make. If it's something you do use and you see a positive or a negative effect, we would be super interested to hear. Absolutely. Okay, Kate. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, Nancy. Take care. Okay. You too. Bye-bye.